um, with the congregation uh, um, all come together and read uh, the scripture behind me. Um, please. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father know me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. May the Lord have a blessing on the reading and receiving of his words. Good morning, church family. You know, it was a good morning last week, too. It was a good morning the week before that. But in between, there's been a lot of weeks and a lot of days. And I know that as well as our family, yours has gone through all kinds of good things and some struggles. And today, as we come together and we celebrate the fact that God is our Savior, I pray that He will be with every single one of us, no matter where we've come from this week. Let's bow our heads one more time as we open God's Word this morning. Our Father, we pray that you will not only bless us, but dear Father, that you will help us to become what we hear. We hope that, dear Father, you will help us to become your servants in a way that is a little different, your disciples in a little bit different way, and your apostles in a little different way. And dear Father, more importantly, that we follow you like we follow, like sheep follow a shepherd. Be with us today as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a little update on Lucas. He's one of those kids that doesn't like a lot of attention, by the way. Uh, he's a very, very private kind of person. And any, any of you that know him, you know he's kind of uh, even-keeled, mellow fellow. Um, and all the attention sometimes makes him a little crazy, but uh, we'll just have, I told him he'll have to just deal with it. Um, this last week, um, he had some things that were complicated, so he couldn't go home, and he was chomping at the bit because he really wanted to get back into life. They promised him only two or three days, and he ended up being in the hospital for over a week. But uh, yesterday, they sent him home with a little fanny pack that's got a little machine on it, and um, we're praying that every day goes very well. Um, some of the side effects he had was basically the doctors saying that he, his cancer was being killed at a very high rate. And so he had some complications, but now everything is going really smooth. Uh, we're praying for smoothness, and uh, hopefully by the middle of September, um, we can know that a lot of it's been killed off or all of it's been killed off. And so um, anyhow, keep praying for him. There are others in our church family and extended church family that are in the hospital right now, and uh, we pray for them too, and we're trying to make sure that they know that you're, they're well taken care of and that we're thinking about them. And while I was contemplating in the hospital one night, I looked out on the field, and because my eyesight was kind of fuzzy and I had been up all night, kind of, because beeping machines and all that fun stuff, some of you know what I mean, because you've been in hospitals before with beeping machines, I looked out on the practice field at the UW, and I thought I saw sheep. 
It was a practice squad for, uh, for soccer, but it was actually, they looked like sheep down on the field. And I kind of chuckled to myself and I said, I better find my glasses. But I looked down there and you know what? I was like, you know, I haven't looked at passages about God being the shepherd in a long time. So I'd like you, I'm going off script here, so some of you are looking at the script up there going, oh no, what's he doing now? Um, I'd like you to go to Psalms 23 with me. Now think of yourself not as a sheep right now, we can do that later, but think of yourself as the shepherd of a bunch of sheep. You're looking out and you are in charge of taking care of these animals and here you go. This is out of your mouth. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm reading out of the NIV this morning. Can you contemplate with me with the world that we have around us and the chaos that is always surrounding us and the noise that is always surrounding us? Can you picture with me quiet pastures and a babbling brook this morning? Just sitting there looking at sheep, hearing them occasionally communicating back and forth. Imagine with me that you are the shepherd of that flock and it seems peaceful and everything surrounding you is just nothing but, ah, that's really good. All while knowing that there's wolves, bears, lions, jackals, coyotes, and thieves that want to get at your flock. Today I'd like to look at the shepherd more than the sheep. You'll see a lot of pictures of sheep and some of shepherds. But I would like to concentrate more on the shepherd today because we always concentrate on us, the sheep. You see, Jesus is teaching us a tool, using a tool that back then was surrounding them at all times. Whenever he would teach, you could see on the hills, you could see sheep. Because that's how people not only made money, but that's how they took care of themselves with the wool and with the meat and everything else. You know, sometimes it's very easy, as Seventh-day Adventists, to see the shepherd, see the sheep, and go, isn't that quaint? I would like us to look about things that are very important today, and that is having to deal with a shepherd that loves his sheep so much he'd do anything for them. You know, sometimes we as Seventh-day Adventists, we think about prophecy, we think about history, we think about theology, and we miss some of the plain truths that are right there in front of us. How many of you have ever just seen something for the very first time and you've read the text 150 times? You know why? Because sometimes the simplicity of what's in front of us is very complicated. 
Our minds are not able to see and our minds are not able to absorb what's going on at the moment. And so later on, something might happen. Could I get the next slide, please? A crisp morning. Sheep in the pasture. Can you see your, your, um, your breath? Well, not in here, but I know some of you are like, oh. <laughs> This picture is taken of a flock, and can you see this this morning? This is taken from what perspective? The shepherd's perspective. When he's looking out, he's seeing all the peace that is out there. He's seeing all the, let's see, one, and he knows them by name, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, maybe nine. Thank you. Maybe nine sheep. And maybe there's 20 or 30. He's like, ah, oh, where are they all at? And so he calls to the sheep and he says, come with me. And they go around the pasture and they find everyone. And then they come to the realization, the shepherd does, there's one missing. All of a sudden, that cool, crisp morning on all the sheep, they're very important to him. His job is important to him, but he looks around and he says, there's one missing. I don't know if you've ever taken care of sheep or you've even seen some of the stories about sheep, but when a sheep goes missing, they are vulnerable. Because typically when an animal attacks sheep, the shepherd yells and they all clump up together. They put their heads in, they put the lambs in the middle basically, and they press in as tight as they can get in and a wolf or whatever tries to grab one of them, they're all one massive just sheep, and it's hard to pull them out. But when one goes off by itself, it's easy prey. In fact, that's usually what happens after that is usually the shepherd goes out and he finds a carcass because it was by itself. But in this case, he goes to look and he makes sure that he's able to find that sheep. And if it's a lamb, he has to teach it a lesson. And this happens a lot. If the lamb will not stay with the, with the flock and with the shepherd and stay with his voice, he will break the legs of that lamb and it has to stay with him until it's mended. You're saying, oh, that's cruel. But every day that shepherd carries him and hears his voice. And by the time he is done being carried around by the shepherd, the lamb knows his voice and all he has to do is, come sheep, and they all come. You see, when we are talking about a shepherd, we know that the sheep know him well. They trust him. They understand that he is there for the good of the sheep. Today, I'd like to explore two passages from the Bible and discuss what it means in the eyes of our shepherd, Jesus Christ. As Seventh-day Adventists, we hold special reverence to the Scripture and the stories that are offered in the lessons. They're timeless because the Bible, if we didn't have it, it would just not be quite the same. It would be a bunch of traditions. But these stories teach us very, very important things. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. We started there earlier today. And this is not at the end of Jesus' ministry, by the way. This is kind of in the middle here. We sometimes don't remember that. It seems like it's at the end, but chapter 10 of Matthew, 
He called his 12 disciples with him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and heal every disease and sickness. Oof, I'd love to do that. But it wasn't them. It was with the power of God. These are the names of the 12 apostles. Simon, who was called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, his brother John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot. Let me read that again. James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not... Do not go among the Gentiles or enter into the towns of Samaria. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go to preach the message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along with any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for your journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth its keep." Whatever town or village you are entering in, search for someone worthy there that stay in their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting, and if the house is deserving, let your peace rest upon it. If it is not, let your peace return to you, and if anyone will not welcome you or listen to you the words, shake the dust off your feet when you have to leave the home or town. I tell you the truth, I will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Oh, that's where that comes from. <laughs> I've known it for years, but it's an amazing thing to be as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. And you can read down further. There's a lot of things that are, that are being said here. But it's amazing that when Jesus has the 12 disciples and makes them into apostles, Jesus instructs his disciples to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There's a word picture here that is very amazing because basically if you go to the sheep of the law of Israel, you're kind of as an Israelite looking back and seeing David, you're seeing Moses, you're seeing many other people that are there taking care of sheep, Joseph, others. Your history is full of sheep and shepherds and you're seeing that somebody is sending somebody to you and you're like, wait, how do I need a shepherd? We already have one. And Jesus is saying, it's another kind of shepherd that you're not used to. You're not used to somebody that is going to tell you that you need salvation. That just because you're related to somebody who is related to somebody and you go all the way back to Abraham, that you have kind of an in. No, you don't have an in. I need you to hear the shepherd's voice. So when Jesus comes, he is sending out his disciples to share a new message, but it's really not new at all. It's one of the oldest messages that I am your God. How many of you have ever come to the point where you have been broken to the point where you have said, whatever? Yeah. That's the time where you have the keenest understanding and hearing because you're not in control anymore. 
You see, when you're a sheep and you hear the master's voice, the shepherd's voice, you follow it. You don't argue with him because what does it sound like when a sheep argues with his, with his shepherd? Bah. It's interesting this morning that as we see the great commission that is given to us, make disciples, right alongside of it, it's like, go make sheep. If you want to be a good sheep, be with the other sheep. But I'm going to make you an under-shepherd also. We meet the disciples in Matthew 10:1, and we see Jesus giving them the authority. And what really shocked me is, hey, Judas, I know I didn't call you, but I'm calling you. I'm going to send you out, and you're going to do all these miracles and everything. And I know you're going to betray me, but go do it anyhow. How many of you find comfort in that because you know what you've done in your past life, you know what you do in your life now? How many of you find comfort in that? I do. Because God says it doesn't matter who you are, it matters who I am. I'm the great shepherd. I'm sending you. I'm sending you as disciples out there. Go make apostles. There are so many things to follow around the world. Teachers that teach self-help, teachers that teach mercy, teachers that teach prophecy, teachers that teach getting in touch with earth, teachers that teach science, teachers that teach about shepherding, the list goes on and on and on. I'm not going to say there's any bad thing to any of those, but there's so much, there's so many words out there, what do you do? We can get a following with us just by putting something on the internet. In fact, you can get a following from putting a stupid thing on the internet. I don't know how many of you have ever made a mistake and been, it's been filmed and it went viral. It's a little embarrassing. But you can have a following even from something like that. Being a sheep or a disciple is one thing, but being a shepherd of others is different. A disciple is used many times as a follower of Jesus. The Greek word is methetes, or methetou, or metheto, which is masculine, by the way. Ladies, don't think too much into this. It's masculine, but it talks about people in general that hear about the message of God. When they hear the message of God, all of a sudden they respond to it. And as they respond to it, they start to follow God, basically saying they hear his voice and they start following it and they understand that it's something wonderful. How many of you have ever heard something that just perked up your ears and you're like, ooh, I got to hear more? I mean, I've, I've had that. All of a sudden, you're like, wait, what? What was that? And you focus your attention on it. You're like, oh, I want to hear more about that. And you listen to it. And you're like, ooh, that's, that's kind of nice. Or sometimes you're like, eh, it wasn't what I thought. But most of the time, we're like keenly interested in it. All of a sudden, we have to learn more about it. And that's kind of the way that it is with the message of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter when you hear it. All of a sudden, it piques your interest and changes you. Do you remember the stories of a child of David playing the harp? Did you imagine what the harp looked like? How many of you thought about one of those big ones, like Some of you, I mean, I've looked at the pictures on the internet, and there were some where, you know, David has this ginormous harp in the middle of the field, and I'm like, do you understand how it is to carry that thing? I mean, I've had to carry one of those. Those are heavy. 
More than likely, it was a lyre or something like that, where it's smaller and it's, it's something that you can play. Um, but that's not the point of a shepherd having something, a musical instrument. How many of you have been by yourself for hours and hours and hours, and you start getting really, really bored? Some of you won't admit it ever, I know, but you get a little bored. So he started writing songs, and he started singing to the sheep. Now, I am going to ask you to put yourself in the sheep's place, okay? Put yourself in the sheep's place when David starts singing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Can you imagine the sheep trying to sing along sometime? I can, because he's out there singing, and everything is, like, beautiful, and and David's just singing this. But he's singing his heart out, and he's looking around, and he's like, "Ah, I'm the shepherd, I'm responsible for these sheep, and if anything happens to them, I would rather it happen to me, because these are my sheep. Can you imagine the two times when a bear comes up, and the bear goes, mmm, yum, lamb chops for lunch. David goes, oh, no, no, and takes on the bear. And then a lion comes up, and he's like, oh, I can take these, and you can't do anything about it. And David grabbed him and ripped him apart. We always think of only a boy named David, little scrawny little dude. How many of you would wrestle a lion and rip him in half? Eh, He was a little bit more than what we think. But you see, what would it look like from the sheep's perspective, all of a sudden, I'm lunch. And the next thing I know, the shepherd is there going, You see, God does that, though. He does that every day, and he has angels that are there, too, and you don't even know it. And sometimes you don't even know you're in trouble, and you're following this teacher or that teacher, and God goes, wait a minute, that's a bear. And you're like, no, it's not. It's got fur like me. And he's like, no, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you because I don't want you going down that path because it leads to destruction. You will be eaten alive. I've got this. No, you don't. Sometimes he has to break our legs and carry us with him. Matthew chapter 28, if you'd turn there with me briefly. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes was white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, for he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. I don't know how about you, but how about uh, you're going to Galilee because you know that Jesus is going to be there. He was dead and he's resurrected. And all of a sudden somebody, I don't know where from, says, Greetings, how are you? How many of you would jump with me? I would jump. It would be a jump scare. I'd be like, woohoo, what's going on? And he said, as they came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. They knew who it was immediately. They knew his voice immediately. They knew that from the teachings that he had over the last number of years with them, that it was him immediately. They didn't get scared. They worshipped him because they knew it was him by his voice. 
And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell your brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were sleeping. If the report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and they did as they were instructed, and the story had been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even till the end of the age. All of that happened really fast. All of that was kind of crazy, but you realize that at the end of this, Jesus gives something that is very, very amazing because they're all of a sudden in hiding mode and we're kind of dead mode. And next thing he says, I don't want you to be scared. I want you to go out and I want you to become a shepherd. But God, I'm a sheep. (laughs) No, you're not just as a disciple. You're now an apostle and I'm giving you a charge to go do this. And I want you to go do this And anytime you worry, don't. How many of you would take a job knowing that that was the description of the job? I mean, I raised my hand, but no. (laughs) But when God calls us, He equips us, and He changes us overnight into something that is different. The death of Jesus Christ and the burial and resurrection makes people into something else. As you witness it, it makes you not just a follower of him, it makes you into something else. It makes you a witness. And not only a witness, it starts to help you when people ask you, what happened? Well, Jesus died on the cross and he was in the grave and I saw him resurrected. So when you observe and you're a witness, all of a sudden you become a teacher because you're teaching people about the things you know. In fact, the word apostle is apostolos. It is also a noun and it is masculine, but it refers to a lot of different people in the New Testament. It refers as a messenger, someone who is on a mission, an apostle, an envoy, a delegate, one who is commissioned by another to represent him in some way, especially a man sent out by Jesus Christ himself to preach the gospel, an apostle. So anytime that you talk about Jesus Christ, you are an apostle because you are on the mission that Jesus has sent you on. No longer a sheep. Be like, could you imagine that conversion? You see all these sheep in the field, like, bah, 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 and Jesus says, you're no longer a sheep, you're you're an apostle. Yes, sir. And it walks off. That would be a very strange thing for me to see. But where would it go first? It would go to another group of sheep, right? And that's what happened in this story is the people would go to the people that they knew best and they would share the message. And when they didn't hear it, they didn't want to hear it, or they, I don't know, they went somewhere else. And as they told people, all of a sudden the message started to spread like wildfire. 
What would it look like if we became all of us apostles and just shared a little bit about the faith of Jesus Christ in our lives, the good things? Far too often as Christians, we share the negative things. But if we share the good things, people will want it. In the New Testament, there are many that are named that are not part of the 12 that were named as apostles. Matthias, Barnabas, Apollos, Timothy, and Silas, Epaphroditus. Um, they were also, there was uh, two that were unnamed in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 8.23. Possibly they were already you know, included, but it was spread so fast that they had to train lots and lots of people. These men were sent out and uh, they were chosen for a specific work by the church. Some of these were not part of the 12. They were handpicked by Jesus, and they were called apostles. You can find that in Hebrews 3.1, uh, by the way, indicating that he was sent by the authority of his Father and that he was sending them out. Now let's move to the final text that I'd like to look at today, Luke chapter 15. It's a lot of sheep and a lot of shepherds today. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him, being Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them a parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is joyful, and he puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together, and he says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who does not need to repent. And I would say that basically we all need to repent at some point or another. But God is keenly interested in those who stray. So if you ever have a question about God's love, just think about God pursuing you. Because far too often, we're the ones running away because we think of this, that, and the other thing being the most important thing in life. The parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15, 1 through 7, reminds us the immense joy in heaven when a lost person repents and returns to God. The profound joy is a testament of the infinite value God places on me, you, and the one thing that he does not want is you to listen to the devil when you're doing something wrong and say, I'm not worthy of God. That's the point in which you need to go look around you and be like, I'm alone. I need to get back to the flock. Where's the shepherd? Please help me, shepherd. I need your help. That is the time we need him the most. There was a devil worshiper. His name was Cornel Job. He lived in Papua New Guinea. He and his friends would dig up bones and they would curse people and they would ask for money and the devils would give them all kinds of stuff. In fact, it was really, really to the point where he was so entrenched in it, his dad was really worried and he had a conversation with his dad one day and his dad pressed a Bible into his hand and said, you know what, you really need to read this. He, he laughed. He's like, why do I need that? But after a while, he felt impressed not to just read the Bible but one morning to kneel down and pray. 
He'd heard from his father and somebody else, I don't know where he heard it, that the devil can't hear what you're thinking. He can only hear what you're saying. So he said, I started praying in my brain. Dear God, please help me. I am kind of a coward right now. I don't want the devils to know I'm praying to you, but please help me. Help me believe in you. He felt impressed to go and pray somewhere, so he went out into the woods and into the grass, the high grass, and cut a little circle, and he started praying. And he says, God, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. And he felt an evil presence there. He closed his eyes really tight, and he said, God, I know that you're stronger than the devil's. I pray that you'll be with me and protect me right now and that I will become your follower. He opened his eyes and it was nothing but warmth. In fact, there was a shaft of sunlight that he had never seen before because he thought it was kind of cloudy that day. And it shone on him. He didn't hear any words or everything, but he felt peace immediately. After that circumstance and that thing that happened to him, there's a bunch of things that happened but he ended up being in the Oma school of uh, preparing for pastors uh, to serve as a missionary. Cornell wants to go back now and speak to the same people that used to dig up bones out of the graveyards so that they could do very bad things and curse people. He wants to go back there so he can tell his friends that the Creator God is the most powerful in the universe and that he wants them to be with him. You see, God will pursue people if he needs to. And that's usually always. But we run. We run because we want this or we want that. But you know what? God has a way of being with us. We're not passive observers in God's mission. We seek the lost. As Seventh-day Adventists, we are called to be co-workers with God, co-shepherds. We're doing a redemptive work. We must actively engage with our communities, showing them love and grace that Jesus Christ did when he was here on earth. Our church can be a beacon of hope, offering a place of refuge and belonging to those that are searching and not knowing who they are, not knowing that they are the sheep of his pastures. I had the privilege of serving one summer with um, Ron Halverson. Uh, we were down in um, Kentucky, in Louisville, and we did a lot of evangelistic work, and um, that guy, let me tell you, if you don't understand Brooklynese, you might as well not listen to him. He is very thick, and he's passed away now. I was able to work that summer with him. It was my senior year, and uh, the Professor Clouset, it was his first summer there, uh, the uncle of uh, a pastor that used to serve here, and one Sabbath, I remember we were out visiting downtown, and downtown was kind of rough along the river. It was kind of a rough place, and there was a lot of gangs, and there was a lot of you know, insignias all over the place. You know, I'm wearing like chinos and a button-up shirt and a tie. You know, I'm looking like I'm from Southern, you know. And uh, he's kind of loafing around there in his big suit, and he goes, hey, watch this, guys. And we're like, oh, no, what's next? Because he was always doing something. He leans down and starts talking to these guys that are alongside the river. We know that they're up to no good because, I mean, we, we profile too. They, they weren't wearing chinos. And uh, they looked a little rough around the edges. And uh, at that time, we thought we were all going to die, to be honest with you. Ron looks at them with kindness in his heart. You could tell. He goes, would you like to hear about another kind of gang? They're like, beat it, old man. He goes, <laughs> he says, if I was younger and I was in the gangs like I was, 
when I was back in New York, <laughs> you wouldn't be standing here. You'd be cut. He goes, yeah, whatever. He says, I'm going to cut you, man. Ron did this. And when he rolled up his sleeve, I saw scars everywhere. And he goes, where do you want to add it? They looked at him and were like, what gang did you belong to? And he named the gang. I can't remember the name of the gang. It wasn't important. But it's a notorious gang from Coney Island. They're in the mob and everything else. The guy's eyes went like this. Yeah, okay, man, we'll listen to you. We'll listen to you. Yeah, yeah, we'll listen to you. But I didn't realize what brought that big guy picture behind me, what brought that big guy to his knees to worship the God of the universe. You see, there was this evangelistic meeting that they had done. I think it was Anderson or one of those big names. They pulled in all the stops. I mean, they had singers. They had three speakers a night. It was in Carnegie Hall. I mean, do you know how much money that would be? It was, it was an amazing effort for evangelism. They preached their hearts out. Two or three people made their decision for Jesus Christ. One of them was a really old lady, and they're like, this was a failure. But you know, that lady went home, told her husband about Jesus. They started studying. He became an Adventist. The children did not want anything to do with it, but one of the grandchildren did. His name was Jim. And he says, yeah, I would like to hear about this. And he started going to Sabbath school with them, and he went to Sabbath school with them. Unbeknownst to them, there was a lot of things that were happening in Jim's life. Jim actually had connections with these, uh, with these gang members, and he was actually part of the gang. But all of a sudden, Ron said that he found Jesus, and we all found the door because we didn't want to be anywhere near the preacher boy. In fact, they called him Isaiah after the prophet because they didn't want anything to do with him. But day after day, he just hung out with them, and he saw his face, and he was like, Isaiah has peace, name being Jim. He has peace, and I don't. When the cops come, we all run for cover because we know we stole cars, we did all kinds of things. And he didn't. One day, things were going, going really rough, and uh, he contacted his friend Jim, and he says, ah, things are really going rough. And he's talking to him. He says, man, you need Jesus. He says, I don't need Jesus. Eat Jesus for old people that are about ready to die. He said, one foot on a banana peel and the other in the grave. That's what he said. But he kept on him. Kept on saying, you know what? You need God. He was skipping school one day, and one of his friends was coming out of juvie. And he says, ah, let's, I'm getting out of here today. Why don't you guys come with me? And he goes, like, no, dude, if I skip one more day, I'm going away until I'm 18. Forget it. I'm not going with you. He goes, okay, we'll go see Jim. We'll go see Jim. He's up in that preacher school place. Let's go up and visit him. Ah, all right. So he goes, and he, they visit him that day. And I'd like to say that, you know, that day that everything changed for both of them, no, nah, that's not really what happened. He got there right around time for chapel, listened to the sermon, was moved, but he didn't want to admit it, stole a boat the next week. <laughs> Does this sound like a good guy? Stole a boat the next week. A storm came up, and the boat was going down. He used one of his motorcycle shoes to try and bail it out, and he goes, God, I'm going down. I'll do anything for you. I'll serve you. And he goes, you know what? God believes liars. He says, guys, I had no intention of following God, but Jim kept on me. 
Jim kept on me telling me that God loves me, and Jim kept telling me that I have peace and you don't. And I eventually gave in to the God that Jim served because one night he stole a lady's pocketbook and she began to cry, and so did he, and he gave it back to her. I served with him one summer and realized that that man had given his life completely over to God because he knew that he had nothing and that God had everything. You see, Jim, um, his last name is Londis. Some of you know that name. He became one of the biggest preachers in Sligo Church. And he went in to do a lot of things, but that one failed evangelistic meeting with just a few people and an old lady won the heart of Ron Halverson. Ron Halverson, over his career of an evangelist and preacher, probably baptized 10,000 people. Was that evangelistic meeting a failure? No. See, thousands of people came to Jesus because they heard his voice, and they heard his voice all while Ron was preaching about things that he should never preach, because I think he preached about uh, David and the whale. No, I'm not kidding. It was totally wrong. <laughs> the story was totally messed up, and he preached it with all give out, and his mom accepted Jesus Christ. She told him later that, you know, I knew you were full of baloney because I read it, and I'm like, <laughs> there's no whale in here. It was a giant. <laughs> And I may have that story messed up, but it was one of those kind of stories. But we can't be passive observers of God's mission. We have to tell other people because it's up to the Holy Spirit to convert them from a sheep to an apostle. You see, we can find refuge in the safety of where God has us here, and we can be quite complacent here. But when we go out, God wants us to do something a little bit different. He wants us to... Search for other people that are sheep, just like us. In conclusion, I'd like to say that, friends, as the passage in Matthew 10, 6, and Luke 15, 1 through 7, and the other ones we read today, remind us of the, love, the boundless love of our Savior. He actively seeks us and rejoices when we're found. He calls us to be co-workers on this mission with Him. Let's be inspired by the teachings of those that have reached out in the past, showing the way that God is the Good Shepherd and rejoicing together as we witness transformation in people's lives because every time we see transformation in somebody else's life, our life changes too. We may experience the joy of being found by Jesus Christ while others are too. And like David with the harp of rejoicing, sing a song like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not want for anything. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, sometimes we're just fine being sheep. Dear Father, inspire us to reach out and grab those that may not know you so we can train them to hear your voice. Dear Father, help us to be keen in listening for your voice among all the voices that are around us in the, in the world around us. There are things that are pulling us in every direction, but we know that when your voice speaks that you change us, that you make us different. So, dear Father, don't only protect us as sheep, but, dear Father, convert us. Make us into something like an apostle. In Jesus' name, amen.